caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? The football is officially going on forever. We say well, this we're all in the- it now. Oh, we are. It feels like um, that period around Christmas where you're having the midweek games, except it's beautiful weather outside. I mean, there's an international break coming up in a couple weeks. That's right. But aside from that, I think we're straight on through with multiple matches per week, if you're playing in Europe, um, all the way through to the World Cup now. Insane. Absolutely insane. And you can't say it's not been enjoyable, but it's it's something. It's intense. Imagine what it's like if you were playing. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I don't know. Games are so much more fun than practice. Yeah. So maybe for a little while at least they'll they'll kind of have the mentality of like, this is fun. I prefer this to, to training. I mean, there is no training. Right. There's, so there's there's physio. There'll be yoga. There'll be whatever a bit of maybe recovery work, but it'll be just games, games, games. And I, I, I think players prefer that. They definitely do. I mean, I would say if you're a Manchester City player, if you know, the intense managers, your Artetas, your Guardiolas, it'd be nice to get a break from, you know, being moved by the hips <laughs> around the field into various positions. Um, so I, I think they prefer that. I, look, I'm enjoying it. Be honest so far, yeah. It's yeah. been. It's we'll been, see if it reaches some kind of uh, it, breaking point. It always does. Uh, does it? I don't know. We'll the, see. The breaking point for me is when someone emails me and said, "Haven't talked about Watford lately." Oh well, yeah. I mean, and I'm like, I'm doing my best here. I, I, I'm almost numb to those now. Uh, yeah. It, that's the number one critique that we get from listeners is that we're not talking enough about their team. Or we're not talking do? in the correct manner about their team. Yeah, that too. That too. We're doing the best we can. I love this podcast. Yes, you Specifically, do. it's one of my favorite ones each year. We do it usually after three or four matches into a Premier League season. Uh, it is our Jump to Conclusions Week podcast where we'll throw out a number of loud, bombastic conclusions, and then you and I sit here and decide whether or not we'll actually jump to those conclusions if we if we believe in them enough. So we'll do that. Uh, we've got a, uh, a mailbag. You've seen some stuff on the internet. I have as well. I will contribute. I got a little MLS minute. It's going to be more than a minute, but it's just alliter- alliteration works in this business, so I've been told. <laughs> so we'll call it that. Uh, some transfer stuff as we lead up to deadline day. Serginio Dest on the move. That's important. Um, but before all that, uh, two things I wanted to mention to you before we even get into Jump to Conclusions Week. Spring things on Well, the, the first one, JJ, so we talked about this s- several weeks ago. I think deep down in our hearts, we hoped and prayed that eh, maybe it's, it's fake, maybe it's not real. But no, no, no. Today, in fact, the U.S. men kits were unveiled for the World Cup, and they are what we thought they were. It takes you. You've been in this country for a while now. Yes, you've seen sort of the development of the U.S. soccer Twitter sphere, the fan base. It's really it's crystallized in a different way in the last five years or so. Even from what I remember when I was a kid, Twitter's had a lot to do with that. Just the obsession with the team. You know, it takes a lot to unify U.S. soccer fans around one cause, one subject, one topic. Sure, I've never seen U.S. soccer fans 
as unified as they are in hatred of these kids. And I, I sometimes feel bad doing this a little bit, even though it's kind of our job to have big opinions. But like, look, everyone's trying to do the best they can. So I don't want to sit here and crush some guy who, like, this was a big deal for him to be assigned the U.S. World Cup. Well, kit. you know it wasn't just one guy. But I, I, can't, I can't hide my feelings how I feel. They're, I, I hate them. I hate them, JJ. <laughs> and I don't know if it— The only thing to save them is the, the smell of success. Sure, That's, and that will— You com- go on a run, yeah, and they become iconic. You're right, and— yeah, like, and I'll and I'll be the I'll parade down the canyon of heroes wearing the the weird tie dye one. You gave me a kit today, right? Yeah. So you got gave me the it's it would have been oh six or seven Liverpool, I guess, or oh seven oh eight. I can't quite remember. Um, and it's basically a a it's it's an an Adidas Liverpool kit. The second time Adidas came around to make their kit, and it's iconic. Why? It's iconic because it was the kit that they wore when they beat Barcelona in the new Camp. And it was the trip where Bellamy attacked John Arnorisa with a golf club. <laughs> so it's the golf club kit. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Certainly. So, so that's how we kind of ascribe meaning and, 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 and memory to these kits. But for these kits to save themselves... This needs to be a pretty epic World Cup. I didn't know that I cared so much about this. Like you and we always critique kit kits. culture is amazing. We always critique Premier League kits, U.S. kits, and like, but like until I saw these ones, maybe it's because it's a World Cup. We've been waiting eight years for the U.S. to be back in a World Cup, so everything feels that much more important and bigger. Um, maybe it's that, but I don't know. Something about when I saw them, I, I'm just so I'm so angry about it in a way that like I shouldn't be so angry. It doesn't really matter. What I want is for the team to play well. They but could it does be, they, matter. Who cares what they're wearing? But, but it does. But I can't help it. Yeah. I, that's how, it's just how I feel. And I can see from the response of other people, everyone feels this way. It's crazy. How did this happen? The players don't like them. Is it the one thing that's unifying America right now? Yes. That's yes. It's a special thing. It's very weird. I don't know how it got through all the gates that it needed to get through. I guess we got a rally behind them. Our boys are going to be wearing them. Uh, again, again, the the only thing that can save them is they better play well. memories yeah, and, yeah, and, right. and good things to happen. By the way, we have more kit talk later in the mailbag. Oh, oh. I want to save that because there may be there may be a brand company that are usurping Nike in the hatred stage. I know what you're going to say, and I disagree. You you think they're I preemptively disagree? You think Puma the Puma kits are better? Than what the U.S. are going to be wearing? Yes. Yeah, I do. Okay. They're not good. They're not good. Adidas is the big winner here. Oh, leading up to this World Cup. Did you Cup. see the they Japanese? They must be taking a victory lap right now. Like you wouldn't. They they go on Twitter. They see the hate being thrown at Nike and Puma. But did you see the Japanese kit? Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. The Mexico one. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Simply and four four two did an article. Is this the worst kit that's being released? And it was the Argentinian away one by Adidas. No, it is no. not. It's actually really nice. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, I can't. There's be a German that. guy who is just over there, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, foolish Americans! <laughs> you should stick to the baseball." Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's let's do it. It was a jump to conclusions, Matt. You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. Jump, jump. 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 Jump, j
The mat is on the floor. What a film, by the way. I feel it's due a rewatch. Office space. I'm going to get a bag of cans some night, some Friday night, get some takeout and just sit there and watch it in all its glory. It is a great movie. It really is. Yeah. So great, much great go- cast. So yeah, the cast is perfect. The the characters are all so unique. It's just a great watch. Yeah. Michael Bolton, perfect. <laughs> it's it's a great movie. The mat is on the floor. I'm going to need you to uh go ahead and jump. We will now put the conclusions down on the mat. We will decide whether or not we want to jump to them. Let's go right to it. At the end of last week's podcast, I promised Arsenal fans. I said to I said to all of you, and I saw somebody even went to Reddit, and he, he started to say, <laughs> one of the animals got on Reddit who's an Arsenal fan, and he said, I was about to tear into you yeah. for not mentioning Arsenal until I heard the apology at the end of the podcast. So I'm not even going to – I'm not going to stutter step into it. We'll go right to them first. Uh, the first conclusion, J.J., to decide whether or not we want to jump to it, Arsenal will push Manchester City for the title. Um, I am not jumping to that conclusion. And I think Arsenal are better, much better than they've been in previous seasons. Uh, I think they've recruited well uh, in Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. I think they're better defensively, especially with uh, Saliba's return. But the sample of games is just not tough enough to make this jump for me. I to just say now that they're title contenders, which is effectively what you're saying. Um, now I can hear people say they haven't had a comeback like they had at the weekend against Fulham in forever. They haven't. Usually if they go 1-0 down the second half, it's curtains. But they did come back. Um, isn't that a sign of resiliency, I hear you cry? Maybe it is, but I need more. Now they hammered Aston Villa tonight, 2-1. But it was a hammer. I mean, they destroyed them. It should have been 4 1, 5 1. Could yeah, easily I haven't been. seen the XG, but the first half, especially. The shots were 20 to 4. Every time I looked up, they were threatening. Yeah, and they, so maybe that's a sign. You gotta, and, and Villa's goal was something to behold. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, what's the XG on that goal? Like, I mean, an good Olympic que- goal. Good question. Yeah, yeah. from, uh, from Luis. So listen, there's stats in their favor. Um, Arsenal have won each of their first four games of a Premier League season for only the third time after 2003-2004 when they went on to win the league and 04-05 when they finished runners-up. That is interesting. Now, if we look at some other stats from some other nerds, 538, they still have Arsenal finishing fourth at this moment in time. That's that's their prediction. And that's where I think they'll be. And that would be a good season. Yeah, I worry about injuries... I worry about a return of the brittle Arsenal um, and the manic energy of Mikel Arteta keeping this whole thing together. Um, so I'm just not going to jump to that one. And it's it's for no other reason other than that's probably the best opening run you could possibly get. Yeah, in I think terms you have to update your statistic. It's now five wins five. After, after today. Um, that was taken after the, uh, the... After Fulham. Yeah, after Fulham. Yeah, I also will not be jumping and... Really, for your same reasons, uh, Palace, Leicester, Bournemouth, Fulham, Villa, you know, you, look, you can only beat who's on your schedule. But that so, is soft. It is. And, and like, I, it's not meant as a slight it's against slight. them. No. Like, look at the way their season started a year ago with losing to Brentford in their first game of the season. So, like, this has not always been the, the recent iteration of Arsenal. They've lost to these teams, and they've drawn with these teams. Definitely. Pal- so, Palace, too. Right. So, the fact that they're doing this now, it's... 
like this is all good. This is all what should be happening. But if you're asking me to jump to a conclusion like that of being able to push Manchester City when the only body of work I can see is that they've done this against what right now look like lower half of the table teams, um, with the possible exception of the way Fulham, the form Fulham have been in, but I don't know if that's sustainable long term. It's just Manchester City are. We'll talk more about them. They're going to be kind of a thread throughout a lot of these conclusions here. But, like, they're a machine. Like, it, we've seen the way Liverpool have barely been able to keep up with them. And, you know, so, so now we're expecting an Arsenal team that, that blew up at the end of last season to suddenly march in and be title contenders. Here's what I'll say. If we were... I mean, look, the whole point of doing jump to conclusions is doing it early in the season when it's still kind of silly to say these things. But let's say we were to move jump to conclusions week to October... Then, like, here's the run-in then when I think you can get a better... Then we'll start to get a gauge of whether or not this is for real what we're seeing. Um, they're going to be well into the Europa League campaign, so they're going to be playing... The matches are going to be coming fast and furious, Thursdays, Sundays. Um, they face Spurs to start the month, then they got a Europa match on Thursday, then Liverpool, then Europa again on Thursday, then Leeds, then Man City a few days later midweek. So, all right, like, we, we don't know yet. Talk to me after that. Then we'll know. And I, and I do think Arsenal fans are are well aware of that. I, I like I if you see like the the more sensible ones, they're really absolutely excited about the start of the season. Very happy with the signings. There's a buzz, which we will talk about. It's almost celebratory buzz, you could say, if you lived in Qatar and broadcasted for BN. But um, I digress. There is a there is a you know a sense of this is better. But I don't think they're. And some of it too. You also touched on it. I don't mean to be too repetitive, but you know, the injury bug has has started to bite them a little. Like Zinchenko has been dealing with injuries, which is really important. Um, Mohamed Al Neni is going to be out for what they're saying could be a significant amount of time, which is worrisome because, like I said, they're going to be playing a lot when that schedule, when the Europa League fixtures start to kick in. Like right now, we see what their eleven appears to be. And it's it's pretty good. The yes. product has been fun to watch. Uh, only when, takes... this, when this stuff starts to pick away at them here and there, and you start losing a guy for a match here, you know Zinchenko. It's not a long term thing, but you lose him for a couple matches. You, you know, tell me who's scoring if Gabriel Jesus comes out the team. Yeah, I mean Martinelli scored today, but you're right. Gabriel Jesus is generating so much. M- Martinelli, right I really now. like. Not an out now goal scorer in my book, uh, but he would have to take up the load, and I think there's. There's some drop off then after that. So I, it's just, I, if we weren't cowards, we would just say, yeah, yeah, they're going to do it. I don't think this is cowardice. No, I know it's not. I don't think that. I resent that. Um, I, now, look, I don't want to be too negative here. Like, this is the, the mere fact that we're mentioning this club in this sort of light says a lot about where Arsenal have, how far they've come. You know, Jesus right now is a, a legit contender for signing of the season. Um, Martin Odegaard has taken the captaincy and run with it. He's looked really good. His perform- some of his his passing against Fulham over the weekend, he was brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's it's great. Like, this is as this is as up as this fan base has had reason to be in quite some time. So enjoy it. Um, I'm just saying that if, if we're going to ask the question about whether or not you're there with City for the duration of an entire Premier League campaign. Can't do that yet. Now, we're not going to be cautious Colin for this entire uh, segment, are we? We're going to jump. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. We're going to jump to something. While we're talking about Arsenal, should we do all or nothing as I as I continue my journey through? Do you, you want to do it now? I don't know. We're I, talking about Arsenal. I mean, we can. I'm happy to talk about it. I don't have too much. I think I'm, I'm five in. 
I continue to to really be enjoying it. Like I've told you, my um, the stuff that I said a few weeks ago about Granite Jaka, how uh, it's like they it's like they heard me. Mm. The, the producers and I were were clearly aligned in our way of thinking that he was someone in particular who's interesting because he's just not who you think he is. Like they do the whole section of the episode where they go home with him and his wife and he talks about the hate and how this is not who we really are like i i, I love i mean it's, i couldn't be happier with that because it's it's literally what i asked for right. so i love that my only my only critique of what i've seen so far i still like arteta some of his some of his oh stuff oh my god I I still, will, I will, let's do this now then I every still time like him. he gets into the huddle before a game you're like what is next what gimmick is he going to come up with guys 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 Edison invented the light bulb and is a what does a light bulb need connectivity and then he connects it up and, it, and people are they're just looking at him and then he's on about tell. nightclubs I can't tell what you, the I did not meet my think. wife in a what is the what is the place you read the book? A library. I did not meet her. Here. Have a good night. He's written on the board. We want to have a good night. And then he talks about basically going out and trying to meet women in a nightclub. And there is just bemused faces. I think his his shtick is the players horrendous. I mean, they seem to like him. By the way, the Ivan Tony pulling up the Ivan Tony tweet from the first Brentford game, where Ivan Tony's written. Um, uh, had a nice kick around in the park with the lads. Oh, I, you, they see everything. Pulling that up, the screenshot of it, uh, months later in the locker room. So, like, things do... I, 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 I'm I, like, what is he going to say next? For me, that's not really a critique. My only critique is um, with the Aubameyang stuff. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, that was a big deal. Aubameyang being dropped from the squad, losing his captaincy. Like, obviously, that was a big thing. But I felt like they went... It occupied so much content over the course of like an episode and a half where when it was finally resolved and he was off to Barcelona, I was sort of like, oh, thank God, we can get back to other storylines here. Yeah, because it, it got a bit boring. Kind of, yeah. Um, Rob Holding appears to be just happy to be there. Happy to be there, happy to fill in. Basically said, look, if my role is to come off the bench and do a job to lock down a win at the end of a game, fine. The other thing I noticed was... Um, the detail they went into with the Kieran Tierney's injury. Um, so uh, the physio meetings are interesting. Uh-huh. So oh yeah, Kieran he's come out. He came out with the shower and went to turn left, and he said he felt his knee collapse. And I like I, I just wanted to get sick. I was like, wow, that's a lot of detail. Um, they're a young young squad as well, and some of the dynamics are funny. Like Emil Smith Rowe and and Lacazette, they are kind of like. But friendship is interesting to me. It's kind of funny. I like Lacazette. He seems like a bit of like good comic relief sort of to have around. I the do, team. but I do feel like every time Arteta throws to him to ask him, in you know, Laka and Lacazette's like, what's he talking? But about? but Arteta must go to him because he knows Lacazette can handle like. Whatever. Of course, he's well. There's very. That's another thing. There's very few, um, as Roy Keane would say, senior pros. Yeah. There's and very few big big characters in that in that dressing room. Um, on I, I guess that's changed with Jesus and Zinchenko. One thing that I did notice before we finish about it, like, and these documentaries are fine, but they all follow the same pattern, like high angle shot of the training ground. Yeah, yeah. You know the whole thing. It works but, for me though. I, I enjoy it. I, I just do. It's fine. It's comfortable. It's like a, it's like a warm pair of socks. Um, <laughs> one thing I found interesting was um, how upset he was when he had COVID 
and he he had the tapes of training. This guy's at home, and he's the the kind of like him and Guardiola. They're like, you know, ultra like monks, soccer monks. Like they don't do anything else. You know, the ancient monks used to just read scripture and like make honey and live in secluded places. These guys, all they do is look at tape. What did he say? He watched twenty-one training sessions. Was it? Yeah, and but he he got upset because the one he couldn't be at because of COVID, and he's watching it, and the effort levels. That was when he he properly flipped out. Well, so here was the question I wanted to ask about that. He what did he say? There are four players, that in particular, that would be off my team. Yeah. Now, I would ask them to leave training so had, I, had he been there. Here's what I wanted to ask you, yeah. and it's an unknowable question, Ooh. can never be answered. Did he actually have four players, or was this some sort of Brendan Rodgers, don't be the name in the box situation? Got three players in an envelope who's going to let me down. Um, right, because in the end, Brendan Rodgers didn't actually have any names in there. It was just kind of a mind game. Do you think there were actually four guys? So he says. Do you think there were actually four guys? That he would to, have asked to, asked to leave the think, session? Or do you think it no. was sort of to try to get in everyone's head? Did I did I do enough that training session? Am I one of the four? Maybe. but I, And he is a guy for gimmicks. We've seen that. That's he, not a bad one. He loves that a gimmick. That would mess with my head a little bit. He loves a gimmick. I, I actually think he was so incensed that there probably were four people that he had to. Oh, I'd kill to know who. I, I must find out. Yeah. Fascinating. I, I like it. Look, I, I, I like it. I think it's been fine. I think it's been fine. Oh, we've got a little bit more from it later oh. on in the mailbag. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, second conclusion, number two. Liverpool's time as the number one contender to Manchester City's throne is up. <laughs> I tell you, tonight watching them against Newcastle, <laughs> I nearly said yeah. JJ, I'm jumping. You're jumping. I'm jumping. Okay. I'm jumping. Uh, I touched on some of it last week on our podcast when I you know, I just can't escape this idea of they played the maximum number of games last season. Yeah. They narrowly missed out on the two most coveted trophies that they wanted, the physical toll, the mental toll. We see sure. what that does to teams. And and like by the way, it's kind of normal. Like what we've seen lately is abnormal. Liverpool to take a step back after a grueling season is not bizarre. So let's go back here. Let's look at the last few kind of title contender or title teams before this Manchester City-Liverpool era. Hmm. Um, so Chelsea won the league in 2015. They were 10th in 2016. Then they won the league in 2017. They were 5th in 2018. It's not unusual for a step back to be taken after a grueling season where you've got to push to the end to win. Leicester City won the league in 16. They were 12th in 17. Um, and even Liverpool, they won the league that next year. Collapsed. And they for them, that still meant finishing third. But it took, what, like an Allison header <laughs> to, to get into the Champions League places. That was Tips of the fingernails kind of thing. Only three points ahead of West Ham, who were fifth. It was a tight race. So even with this very same Klopp Liverpool team, we're only a couple years removed from seeing it with them too. So it's not, I don't view it necessarily as an insult to say they're not going to challenge City this year because that's kind of more normal than being able to keep pace with Manchester City every year. I mean, the abnormal factor in this is City's complete ability to just blitz through the league every right. season. So it's asking a lot of it any is. team to do it every single year. And I just I just don't think Liverpool are going to be able to do it this year. I, I don't know. I, th- I think um, I'm not jumping to it because I do think it's too small of a sample size early on. I know it's not a good start. They're worst start in a decade. I saw, res- I saw serious resilience tonight. They had to 
get some kind of generous timekeeping from the referee, albeit Newcastle did play for it. I mean, if you count up the minutes like I did, Newcastle had two minutes of stoppages. I still have a problem with it. You have a problem because it's not always applied. It's too inconsistent. Right. It wasn't applied last night for Leeds and Everton. Right. right. So tonight, the referee decided, you know what? I'm going to give them back every single second of time that was wasted during during added time. Yeah, okay. So they got two minutes and 15 seconds beyond the six allotted minutes. Like, that just doesn't happen in other games. Like, why did that happen tonight? Why well, did- I think I I think Newcastle put it in the referee's mind early because they started the time wasting early. People, guys were going down with cramp. There was fellas falling over for no reason. Like, Jordan Henderson was picking a guy up in the box in the first half. You know, so that kind of stuff... I think the the referee was suddenly very conscious of. Now I agree with you. This should be done across the board. I don't believe in a running in the in the in the clock that uh, that Americans want to be. It's, it's time. It's not just Americans. Oh, want it. Americans they were really love the, the idea. Netherlands. Yeah, well, they're trialing it. I I I think the referee and the fourth official have the time. You like they they can calculate what time has been wasted, and they should just do it. Just do it and enforce it. The inconsistency of it is frustrating. Anyway, tonight, going back to Liverpool, it is, I can see why it would be frustrating. Um, yeah, so I saw resilience tonight from Liverpool. Um, I, I, I can't make a judgment until Thiago's fit and they get back in. I can't make a judgment even on Nunes. I haven't seen enough of him. So, th- so there's too many variables for me. I was very close, I'd say midway through the second half last night, or tonight, of changing what I, my notes here. But um, there's another player that hasn't been talked about that's going to come back into the mix who you think is going to lift this side. Like, Diogo Jota has barely been mentioned. Um, 54 games for the club, 24 goals and 6 assists in the Premier League. That's a sizable player to be able to get back into this side. I'm not confident that the team doesn't need a rebuild, but equally it's too early to say that it's over for this Liverpool. So Now, I would love another central midfielder. Like, I cannot even tell you. Klopp hinted tonight. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up is I wonder, I get the sense that even Klopp himself knows that this team is not cut out this season to battle Manchester City. He it doesn't said, mean, I don't think anyone is, by the way. I think City are going to win the league comfortably, but I'm not going to say Liverpool aren't going to be the closest to them. So Klopp was asked about sort of the, the transfer activity for Liverpool during this window. Um, what was this, yesterday, I think? He said, from time to time, I would be ready to risk a bit more, but I don't decide that, and that's fine. And then he went off of that quickly, and he said, you know, this is not to be, don't make much of this statement, but it's a small, it's mild, but it's an opening of the window just to crack into how he feels about this. And by the way, we agree with him, or at least I did. I mean, we said in the season preview that, like, this was kind of one of those years where you might have liked Liverpool to extend themselves beyond what they're comfortable with in the transfer window. And and look, people will say, well, they got Darwin Nunez. But that was to break even because they lost Sadio Mane. Right. Like, I'm talking about doing – and look, Carvalho scored the, the winner tonight, so you can, point, you can point to him. Um, it's not the same thing, though. But it's not – like, I'm talking about if you're going to compete with City, this is like – we're talking about City buying Rodri while Fernandinho is still great – because they're just like, we can do that, and Fernandinho will shuffle off in a couple seasons, and then we'll be good to go. Like, they bought Jack Grealish for $100 million without even really having a place to play him. Like, that's what you're trying to compete with. Liverpool can't do that every year, but if once every three years they do decide to kind of go a little bit nuts to keep up, you know, this might have been the year to do that. Um, 
And, you know, that's... But, but like, to your point, like, today they buy Manuel Akanji. City do. And they say, yeah, we're not selling another centre-half. Wouldn't happen. Liverpool, it's outgoings, ingoings. Books have to be balanced. Uh-huh. And there is definitely a, a, a groundswell of Liverpool supporters this summer that felt... Can we just deviate for the, from that for one second? Can right. we please just to build that midfield? Because nobody came out of Paris thinking that that midfield was going to be good enough for this season. I don't think even Klopp did. But like you said, he's not in control of of the spending. So here we are. Yeah. I'm not ready to jump on it. Okay. Well, I have. There is my moment of uh, of bravery. I've jumped. Uh, all right. Next one. Yeah. Let's go. Steven Gerrard will be the next manager to lose his job. Do you want me to go? Sure. I am jumping to that. Uh, this looks like it's falling apart, Andrew. Um, Jared came to Villa Park, did the hard part of the equation. So, excuse me, did the simple part of the equation. He got this team organised. They looked better after Dean Smith. He stabilised them. They, made, they became harder to beat. The hard part is attacking and scoring goals. And he's failed to the point that Villa fans cannot tell you what style of play Stephen Gerrard has. Mm-hmm. That's not good after this long. Look, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to get corners and we're going to score on them. Exactly. Without now, a touch. Now, like we spoke earlier, Villa were handled by Arsenal tonight. 20 shots to four. But at the weekend, after the defeat to Arsenal, Gerrard kept talking about no spark, that lack of quality, creativity. If he hasn't got those things by now, especially having Buendia, Coutinho who we got in at a pretty big wages, mm-hmm. uh, McGinn on the field, then this is hard to turn around. i got a stat for you. Uh-oh. Now, this was before tonight. This was from the weekend. And Johnny Ward made it on off the ball. And I still have to try and get my head around it. Going into this midweek round of games, only one team have entered into the final third more than Aston Villa, and that is Man City. Wait, wait. Entered, entered into the final third. So found themselves in the final third. So they're generating an attack is what you're telling me. They're they're getting into just with no bite at the end of it? Is that no coherency, no no kind of they're getting that But that's more than I would have thought. They're getting I, I can't believe it. But what it means what's happening more hap- than Arsenal? Yeah. So what's happening after that is just falling apart. I guess so, but <laughs> but that's at least something to build off of. Yeah. Now, Villa fans... That's interesting. Villa fans that I've seen interviewed on, on various podcasts, they say, well, when we get that far, we just sling things into the box and right. there's there's no coherence to it. And that's the real problem. And and I think... I think that if you look at Steven Gerrard, his just, like, his demeanour, he like tonight and he basically said, yeah, I'm under pressure now and I know I am. Look at the ownership. Like the ownership is not there to have Villa floating in around the bottom half of the table. They're just not. That's not the way Wes Edens and, and those people will operate. Yeah. They are looking to do what even look what Randy Lerner did on with Martin O'Neill at Aston Villa, where they had what back to back seasons in the top six. That's where they want to be. And Gerard is not getting them closer to that, and that's why he's going to be gone. And they've also spent a lot of money. Like genuinely a lot of money. And all, they have to be also discomforted by the fact that he's made John McGinn captain and his form has fallen off a cliff. And he just engaged in an unnecessary row with Tyrone Mings. Mm-hmm. 
that didn't need to happen. This is not good management, and I don't see how he turns it around. I'm jumping too. I'm jumping with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worry for him. Uh, look, Arsenal is one thing; they're playing great. It's you can you can excuse Villa for losing at the Emirates, but like, I worry about them because they don't look good. And their schedule has been favorable. Like, think about how yeah. bad the Bournemouth loss looks now. Terrible. You know, Scott Parker just lost his job. Um, you know, losing to what was kind of, you know, an out-of-form West Ham. Now, maybe they've allowed West Ham to play themselves back into form a bit, and West Ham got a good point today against Spurs. Um, here's what I worry about if you're Gerard. If you look at how the fixture list lays out. So they had Arsenal today, then they've got City over the weekend. They're probably going to get flattened in that one is that a convenient time to then make the move you don't want to do it you wouldn't do it now obviously you don't want a new manager coming in to have to face manchester city you let those tough ones gerard takes those and then you bring in a new guy where the landing pad is a little bit softer like after that where they have leicester and southampton so you know maybe that's where you allow a new manager to come in and get that new manager bounce or maybe gerard does those games too and they give them until the international break after those to to get it right but like you're right you know they're clearly they thought they were in some sort of win now mode if you're buying players like you said like Coutinho Diego Carlos I don't did you say uh, Lucas Digne as well who's been bad by the way um, like you're not those aren't moves that get made for a club that is comfortable finishing 12th, 13th. No. Like, those are moves, like Coutinho in particular, like, these are moves that get made for a club that thinks it's ready to take a step up. And 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 Gerard last season talked about when he got the job about looking forward, looking up the table, making this club upwardly mobile. Right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. I worry for him. I worry for him. What did you make, by the way, while we're talking about this, of Parker losing his job? I thought it was... Um, Can you keep your job after losing 9-0? I guess Ralph Hasenhudel has. Twice. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. I saw South the Southampton the admins got involved, JJ. The, oh, they wa- did? the waiter got in on, oh. in on the joke. Um yeah, I think it was Southampton's Twitter reached out to Bournemouth's Twitter and said, If you need to talk, we're here for you. No. Something like that. Wow, really. Well, look, you can keep your job after a nine nil. You probably can't keep your job if you go public about saying we have to get people in and that's not the plan. <laughs> there is no plan to bring people in and for him to be I guess however. Uh, whatever his statements were to the press, I'd say he was more militant to the board immediately after the 9-0. And, and he's gone, and that's why. He's been backed in the championship, there's no question. But uh, Bournemouth have been, um, you know, they've got an owner who's been, um, Maxim Denham, who's, who's put money behind the club. But there were, there were comments in the statement about sustainability and everybody pulling together and everybody understanding mm. that we're clearly clearly marked for Scott Parker. And Scott Parker didn't want to be involved in it. He'll get another job, definitely will. His record is good enough. Maybe but, not in the Premier League, though. Maybe not. Wouldn't be shocked, though. You can't see it right now, I would say that. No. Not at the moment. But um, I think it was the comments more than the, the 9-0. Maybe. Uh, all right, so we both jumped for that one. Interesting. Well, Stevie G, be be afraid. Be very afraid. All right, uh, here's our fourth one. I've got five total. Here's the the second to last one. 
<laughs> There's going to be a segment of the listeners that don't like this one. Oh no, and they and they loved us when we spoke kindly after the after the Spurs Chelsea game. Yeah, yeah. Now it's all over. Well, all right. Here's our fourth conclusion. Turns out public opinion of Chelsea was correct. They're really not that special this season. Should I go first here? Uh, yeah, you take the bullet first. <laughs> I will jump. Um, allow me to quote the club's own manager. Well, actually, you know what? You may. I think we actually have the audio. We have some. We have some good audio. Here's uh, Thomas Tuchel talking about his team. Soft defending. What stops that? Pure mentality. Stop it by pure mentality. Stop it with defending mentality. There is no superiority for the opponent. There is no need to give shots away. There is no need. Just toughen up and as a team and show different mentality. This is today my assessment. He also said this, JJ, to BBC's Match of the Day. Uh, it's too easy to put us off balance, to beat us, to confuse us. It's too easy. We lose concentration, we lose our plan and lose consistency. It's too easy to beat us. With our demands and the ambitions we have, it's even more important if key players are missing that we that we need to show a different mentality. It's too easy to push us off the track. It's too easy to win challenges. It's too easy to bully us. Now that's a team that had Koulibaly, Thiago Silva, Cesar Azpilicueta in it. Too easy to bully? I mean... This is their own manager now. This is not you and I. I'm not buying that. By the way, I'm jumping with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, might as well get that in there. I'm not buying it because I did not see the game last night. I saw highlights. So I went to the internet to give me a kind of a... Tell me... Because all I could see was from Chelsea fans, not from anybody else, how bad they were. So I'm like trying to figure it out. I think it was Andrew Williams from Sirius said this Chelsea performance was terrible. Mm. So I I found that uh, Michael Cali had tweeted the pass map the passing map, the the shape of the Chelsea play, the direction of the passes. Um, thick lines, Andrew, between the centre-backs um, and Cesar Azpilicueta, Azpilicueta yeah. and Hakim Ziyech. Thick, thick lines there. A lot of passing back. You love those horizontal passes among your backline members. That yeah. is what you want to see. The thinnest of lines, to the focal point of the attack in Raheem Sterling. It's better than what was on the right side. Nothing. Nothing. A gaping gap. Not one forward pass from Ziyech to Sterling? I couldn't... I from the, Not that I could divine from this pass map, no. It was... Um, or Ziyech to anybody forward. No, not really. There was a, just a lot of... Just going nowhere ball. Going nowhere ball. Worrying. And that's not toughness. It's got nothing to do with toughness. That's basically you're missing. But Reece. it's everything. You're, you're missing Reese James, obviously on the right hand side there. Which I mean, he's he's the rug that brings the room together. He's <laughs> a great player. He yeah. is. But this this Tuchel system can't fall apart that easily without without him being in there. It just can't, and it has, and it's it's not good. Now I went back to think the 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 only full ninety I've seen of Chelsea this season was that really good performance first half at least against Tottenham Hotspur. And I thought about how, you know, they're passing, the, the way they looked very effective in that game. But if you look at the goals, I mean, it was a set-piece corner headed to Koulibaly volleyed in. That's not, that's not some amazing... Now, the Reese James was a good move up the right-hand yeah, side. They, 
he didn't play last night. So they don't get that height and they don't get that width from from Ziyech. Don't understand why they don't, but they don't. Um, and rem- I mean, remember what was best about that Chelsea performance against Tottenham. You know, it wasn't necessarily all of the chances that were generated by Chelsea. They did have chances. It was their lockdown ability to prevent Spurs from doing anything, from allowing Tottenham to even cross midfield. Like, they they have moments where they can do that. That's always kind of been the focal point of a Tuchel system. But now N'Golo Kante's hurt. He got hurt in that game. They're different without him. Yeah, that's true. Uh, just looking at this map again, this utter mess. <laughs> I mean, while you're looking at Mason, that, Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. So I want to talk a little bit about just that. on top of each other. So I want to play a clip for you, and then we're going to have a really annoying conversation. Okay? Oh no, I know where this is going. I'm gonna. I just want to play this clip for you. Right now, I think we we could need some more players on on some position. But uh, listen, if if it uh, it's very close to the end of the transfer window, and when. When the first September comes, I will be a happy coach, no matter what happens, and I will try to find solutions and not think what what could have happened or what could be. I would love to have a headache who plays and who is on the bench. Without tough decision, we will get nowhere. Like uh, we are used to 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 compete for every title. We are used at Chelsea to. I'll compete just stop it there. There's 25 level. more seconds, but that's the part. There's no. He- he's saying there. I don't, it's Tuchel saying that there's no headaches. There's no difficult decisions about who to play and who not to play. You know who I feel sorry for, JJ. Go on. American Chelsea fans. Oh God, bless them. Oh no. Because I I went on Twitter, and the, they're in uproar. The absolute. Like I thought there was turmoil within Tottenham when Mourinho was manager, from the people who were supportive to those who weren't. Yeah. Within within the fan base, you look at it within the Chelsea fan base right now, and the vitriol from I guess British Chelsea supporters towards American Chelsea supporters is well, they, it's brutal, it's extreme. Well, it's the English the, the English Chelsea reaction was get Pulisic and Ziyech out of our club. They hate Pulisic, right? And I think they hate him more because American fans are saying there's pushback. Get him in the side, yeah. And here's so like. These American fans are being are being told by all of these other Chelsea supporters that have no allegiances to Pulisic specifically. Their allegiance is just to the club and nothing more. And you know they're being told that they don't. You don't know like that. That is the message being hurled at, at these American Chelsea supporters. And to a certain extent, I get it. They're like I said, they have no allegiance to this guy. They just want to win, and they don't think that Pulisic has what it takes. But the reason American fans are so frustrated by it is because. No one is doing anything in attack for this club. Ziyech went in. You looked at the map. He's not doing anything threatening. Mount and Havertz. The Mount specifically. This guy who is propped up as this is the crown jewel of Chelsea. What is he offering to them mm. right now? These statistics, JJ. The duo of Havertz, Havertz himself. He's gone 489 minutes now without scoring. Uh, Havertz and Mount together. They've gone to combine 777 minutes this season without contributing a goal or assist. No one's doing anything. So when that's happening, get Pulisic on the field. Right. Why not? No one's contributing. Now, he, he did come on, right? Did- Late. He came on and he played wing back. They're playing him out. He was right wing back, JJ. Has he ever played that position on any level for any club? The U.S., Dortmund, whoever, youth teams? I mean, come on, man. 
And now they hate him because after the game, he was frustrated. He was played out of position. He didn't contribute. They lost a frustrating game, and he walked off the field without clapping the fans. And so the fans hate his oh, guts Oh, yeah, now. that was the big thing. Though. They hate his guts now. They want him gone. And he wants to go. Why won't they let him leave? What's going on here? Is it because Todd Bowley wants this American on the uh, on their team? Possibly. It's a mess. It's a mess. And look, I don't know. Maybe Pulisic's not good enough to be a Chelsea player. But like for Tuchel to say, I have no difficult decisions for who's playing. For him to say that when the guys ahead of Pulisic are not contributing and you spent, what, $70 million on this guy? And when he's had opportunities, he has performed for them. He did score in a Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid. He's not a nobody. He's a legitimately really good player. We've seen it over and over again. So that's where the frustration kicks in. But I suppose the the other the other side to it is you put him in in that system, and with the way things are, the ball's being rotated and the passing. Well, that is or the la- thing. Lack thereof, it do- don't matter. You could put Maradona in there; it's not going to make a difference. Well, then that that's an even bigger conversation to have. That this is not a Pulisic problem. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a manager problem. Did you hear? I mean, again, not to go back to Tuchel audio. I I I saw it in a clip on 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 Twitter, and I didn't save it. Stupid JJ. But he was, he was so snippy with a, a journalist who said, was it not a case of, no, it wasn't the attack. Nothing to do with the attack tonight. Nothing to do with it. Um, it was to do with, like again, and banged on about toughness. That because, is, because it can't be on the attack. Because if it is, the finger of blame will go back to him because it's his system. Even though he said after the Leeds game, he said, it is my job to create a system that puts my players in the best positions to score. It's not happening. And look, I know that it, you know, like Timo Werner had a hat trick the other day. It was against fourth tier yeah. opposition. It's against fourth tier opposition know. in the Pokal, the DFB Pokal. Pokal. Um Yeah, and that, that's all coming back as well. But like that. it doesn't help. You know, Lukaku has a couple goals already this season. <laughs> stop, stop. Uh, he does. So, I think he has two goals and one assist. Yeah, I don't care. That's not that's not the thing. That's not the thing. They're not all bad. No, that is true. Not all of these that players is true. are bad. And and Tuchel will not admit that uh, that maybe his system is bad right now and not working out. But you and know what way, you could do? Do you know what you could do, Andrew? If you have a problem clearly in midfield and attack, do you know what you could do? Buy a center half. We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah. And, and look, like I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Chelsea, it won him a Champions League, this system. So like, but it seemed much more like the way they did it. They didn't attack then either, particularly in the final. They didn't concede goals. It seemed very specific. They you, didn't concede goals. No, it was it like was the, as simple as that. Those set plays where they where they knew City would press, and so they would almost take out that guy and lob the ball over and create space in behind, and it seemed very kind of very specific to to what they were facing, and that's cup football too, which is entirely different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, one more here for you. Leicester City are in for a relegation fight. Um. Yeah, I'm jumping. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um. I'm a jumping, Andrew. Um. I think Brendan Rodgers' time at Leicester City should have finished after they finished fifth and failed to make the Champions League the second time. So not last season, the season before they finished eighth last season. But it felt might have felt a little bit harsh. It. I, but even for him just to say, we need to move on. Now, what's happened since is not... It's, is it anyone's fault in particular? It's hard to know. But I was reading Rob Tanner in The Athletic, and he spoke about Rodgers 
and the position of the club like this. So a manager who's struggling to contain his frustration at the club's transfer policy, a hierarchy trying to avoid the club slipping into financial trouble, and an unsettled group of players, including several who are pushing to leave and some who are digging their heels in to stay. Morale is down and a fan base with high expectations is losing patience and expressing dissatisfaction with what the club is delivering. I didn't realise that while Leicester are, according to the reporting of, of Rob, they're okay the next statement that comes, the next financial statement that comes down the line in terms of financial fair play sees them in an area where they have to sell to buy. Hmm. They can't just bring in all the players. Now, Rodgers seemingly was not aware of that in the summer or that he thought the plan coming into this summer was to reinvigorate the squad. He did not know that you're going to have to sell Tielemans, you're going to have to get rid of Fafana, you're going to have to get rid of a bunch of players to really replenish this squad. And that's where the problem has come about. And they look lost and listless, as does their manager. Now, the other side to it is as well, you look at Rodgers in most of his jobs, he's always kind of hit a buffer. He's he's hit a point where he, he can't take the team any further. And it's time to move him on. Happened at Liverpool, happened at Celtic. At Celtic, they kept winning domestically, but... Europe wasn't working out and Europe was the next thing. And what did Rodgers want then? He wanted Celtic to go all out, give him the money he needed to compete in Europe. They never. So I feel as if we're hit, we're hitting the same point or have gone past that point now. And the problem with that is how do you reverse it? How do you turn it around? So here's And they've got very little time left in this window. They've got 24... No, it's, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, look, they just recouped a, a lot of money for Fafana, but this is... This is a little late in the game now. But, I mean, this um, is probably a squad that needs more investment in a couple of areas rather than just... Yeah, so look, ultimately, you, you talked about the morale thing. I think even though it doesn't help them necessarily to lose a great player like Fafana, I think that just being over, I think like I think that will lift the mood potentially with having that player gone. It was it was a bit toxic. Rogers, Rogers himself said that the... Uh, what was the word he used? Unsettling the squad. He said that when Harry Maguire left and they knew he was going, he was a professional to the end. Like he turned up for training. He did all the things he was supposed to do. It was not unsettling. Whereas this, they had to send him off to train on his own. Yeah. Or not, you know. um, now, here's the only thing. I'm not jumping. And there's one thing you said that I, I'm going to take a little bit of, of umbrage with. Oh. You said that they Umbridge look, away, my friend. They, you said that they look lost and listless. So the only reason I'm not sure I'm I'm going to go there just yet. So if we look at Leicester's four games, okay, they blew a two-goal lead versus Brentford, conceded in the 86th. Leicester hit the post twice in that game. They lost 4-2 to Arsenal in a game that was fun, and it was a pretty good game. They also lost out on a penalty call on that to VAR that got overturned. Um, against Southampton, again, they conceded another late goal to lose that St- at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Now I know there was a red card which helped this, but outpossessed Chelsea 55-45, outshot Chelsea 17-7. Um, and wasn't there, know, was, won, was, won the XG by every metric that I saw for that. And wasn't there late crossbar drama? So like that's the only thing I'll say is they're not getting played off the pitch in any of these games. They're Fair. in all of them and they've they've conceded late goals in a couple of them that prevented them from walking away with wins but, or draws. But sometimes you can just, you can divine a mood around a club. You can yeah, just I'm sure. sense Look, it. W- losing games like that 
or, or drawing games like that that could have been wins, yeah, that that affects you. Losing Fafana, that affects you. But I do think that you know they're not getting killed. I don't think that they look awful. Um, I just I don't think that them being where they are right now is is sustainable in that kind of way. I do think that there will be a little bit of of kind of a reverting to the mean here. It's not look, it's not going to be a good season. I think that ship has sailed. Um, and even with talents like James Madison still in the squad and, and players like that, they, there are still good players there. Uh, but I think the ship might have sailed on it being a good season. But I don't. Th- that also doesn't necessarily mean to me that they're going to be fighting for their lives in the last few weeks. Uh, so that's where I'm at. Okay. Um, there you go. That's Jump to Conclusions Week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, send us yours if you have any. Go on the Reddit. Yeah, yeah. They'll probably do it there. Uh, at Seawall Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, and uh, caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with most of those ones. And by the way, this is not gospel. We are doing... Of course not. We're doing exactly what... The whole what, thing is kind of a parody. Yeah. Like, you know, we're jumping. Right. It's a leap of faith. It's kind of a whole segment devoted to our preseason thing of the... the Bad prediction or whatever that you bad prediction amnesty yeah, yeah. but uh, we already had someone <laughs> incredibly who um, who dived in about uh, Southampton when they won last night mm. uh, your prediction that they'd be relegated yeah start of season predictions and said uh, how's that prediction about Southampton looking now I love these people who and I just <laughs> responded I said yeah well the season runs from August to May so you know if you want to check back in with that in May go go right ahead it may be wrong. It very well may be wrong. I just love... I haven't gotten many tweets, JJ, about my Fulham predictions, about them being the best-performing promoted side and Marco Silva winning manager of the season. But I shouldn't get those because, like you just said, it's August. It's silly. Uh, One thing before we take a break here, I know I said that Manchester City would kind of be a thread through some of this because a lot of this talk is about who can compete with them. I mean... Here's here is a conclusion that I jumped to another prediction that haven't heard much chatter about, but I said after the Community Shield that in the history of this podcast, the dumbest stuff that we ever had to deal with were people watching that Community Shield game, a glorified friendly, and declaring that Holland probably wasn't going to work at City. That Pep system wasn't designed this way. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Made me lose faith in a lot of people who I oh. thought I had respect for. This guy is a machine. He's out of control. I'm terrified. I mean, he's I'm he, terrified. He's going to hit 40 goals. Two hat-tricks in a row, nine goals in five games. Hasn't been done. The The record was, what, eight? Uh, it's terrifying. ESPN FC tweeted this, JJ. Erling Holland already has as many Premier League hat-tricks as Sadio Mane, Eden Hazard, and Sun Young Min. Already. Mm. Already. And, and, you know, with the Community Shield stuff, um, that was not lost on Erling Holland. He heard all that. Did you see he posted on Instagram over the weekend? They ain't believing us. And sometimes I look at that when a when like a really good team says no one believed in us. I say I, I sometimes think about that and I say, shut up. Mm. Everyone did. But teams they like try to find stuff to feed off of for for you know momentum. This is one where I don't blame him for saying that because it was so dumb, the things that were being said after that game. So stupid. So if he took that as fuel. Good for him. He was right to. It was that dumb. The only way Nottingham Forest would have come out of anything out of this game is if they'd played all 17 signings on the field and just stood them in the goal. Something. <laughs> Even then. Even then. That's, it's kind of depressing. 
I mean, it's if you're a Man City fan, it's I'm sure it's fantastic. Oh, they're but, in heaven. But it's yeesh, for the rest of us. It looks like it looks like that signing is going to be okay. The Norseman cometh. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back with some uh, recent transfer activity. Like we said, we'll mention the Fafana stuff because I do think that there's some interesting notes there to talk about. A little bit of MLS, a mailbag, things you saw on the internet. Still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Um, I, JJ, I, uh, I'm not. I'm, I don't, I'm not the biggest handyman in the world, but I, with the help of some others, I put together the most difficult thing that I've ever put together. Something from IKEA. No, no, um, a trampoline. You got to get that right. <laughs> yeah, there's pressure how, on that. How big? Not super big, but way bigger than I thought. Yeah, way bigger than I thought. Like some of these instruction manuals, they're infuriating. Yeah, dreadful. It's just a picture. Oh, and then take this spring and just just attach it there. That's all. JJ, it took me and three guys pulling with tools that weren't even included in the set. That to we get had, it done. To get it done. I don't know what I would have done if it was just me. Is it too tensile now? Is there a danger that one of the children is going to go into orbit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting money on Luke. <laughs> the fire brigade will have to pick him out of a tree. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, assembled a chair. For, for my girlfriend. You're gonna act like that's even in the same league. It's what's as not, what I just did here. No, it was one of the like an office chair. Okay. Um, actually, wasn't there's some pressure on that too? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean that thing collapses. <laughs> Unless you're pulling a prank. No, I'm not doing that. That that prank could lead to serious injury, Andrew. Come you on. think? In a chair. I was once at a graduation party uh, yeah. when I was in high school, and um, we just found out organically, this wasn't on purpose, that one of the folding chairs was severely flawed. <laughs> and that became the day's activity. Compromised. Everybody would gather on the table, and we would continue to leave that chair empty for every new person who came. They would sit there, and every one of them went straight down. And it was funny every time. So I'm just saying, if you want to rethink it, it is funny. I remember college. And no one got hurt. Everyone was just fine. I remember a college prank where um, a guy who used to know he used to like he'd have a few cans or whatever beers and he'd just pass out. He'd be so asleep that he would never wake up. So uh, what some friends of mine used to do was put the entire kitchen into his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Everything they could possibly move, bar the fridge and the cooker, which was just too much. But like every the microwave, table, chairs, everything. And he never learned. No, but he'd wake up in the morning and imagine with like a crusty hangover. Oh no. no! I gotta take the kitchen out of my room again. <laughs> Great. Uh, let's see. We got some transfer activity as we approach deadline day. Uh, let's see. Let's start. JJ Serginho Dest appears to be going from Barcelona to AC Milan. This was weird. This was a on again, off again, on again sort of situation, as many of these things are. A lot of posturing. Well, there was. I think United needed to move Aaron Wan-Bissaka on, and they couldn't. Yeah. And so that meant there wasn't really space for, for Dest at United and so that, that kind of fell through although Ten Hag seemed to really want him and then he ends up at uh, at AC Milan which I think is great I just think it's he's going to get games he's going to get minutes that's what it's about that's for a good club I mean for playing they, in the Champions League they've, yeah they have a bit of a reputation yeah. alright so I think so I think it's a, it's a good move it's a move that makes everyone in US MNT land happy 
Uh, Doug McIntyre, I saw, had this on Twitter from Greg Berhalter on the move. Uh, Berhalter saying, quote, to go from Barcelona to AC Milan is not bad, right? Serie A is a competitive league. You have to defend really well in Serie A, and it's going to help him. So, so is Greg going to make statements on on every player that moves? I mean, if, if, I, at, if I were a journalist in this country... And you had access to him, you'd just ask him every time. Every time one of these yeah. guys moved, I'd Easy want to know what copy. he made of it. Easy There's copy. a World Cup in a few months. I'd yeah. want to know about every single one of these. Yeah, I want to hear what he thinks about Pepe de Groningen. Yeah, I'd be, I want to hear about all of them. Absolutely. Um, Fafana, JJ, uh, JJ. It's done. It is, uh, and, uh, you know. So that's another center half. Yeah, so... This one's interesting. So I was reading, um, was it Adam Bate at Sky Sports? Mm. He wrote this about it. Um, he said, when he, Fafana, was out injured last season, Brendan Rodgers compared his absence to Liverpool losing Virgil van Dijk. So swift has his progress been that former Chelsea defender and World Cup winner Frank LaBeouf likened his rise to that of Kylian Mbappe. This is a lot of high praise from people who we respect. It is, and he he'll probably be very good. But will he fundamentally change what's going on at the club? Well, here's, Let's not go here's over why. old ground. Here's why I think it might. Here's why I think this move might actually be really good. I did not know this. I was reading more in this article from uh, at Sky Sports. So they lose Rudiger. He was the fastest player in the Premier League last season in terms of his top, his, his top clocked speed. Top speed, yeah. So I think when you have a center half, a center back who has that in his bag, it allows you to do so much more with that back line when you know one of your center backs has that kind of recovery speed. So you're saying Koulibaly doesn't. No. Fafana isn't. They've they've clocked him. He's and not, Thiago Silva is seventy-five. Thiago Silva is not also doing that. He's in his AARP years. They've clocked Fafana. He's not quite to where Rudiger was, but he's damn close. So you're saying higher line, compress can, the field, get further up the field. Bingo. Be more in the third, the attacking third. Bingo. Okay. So I think that. And by the way, like hearing this kind of praise from Rodgers and LeBeouf, that's that's great for here and now. He's also really young. Yeah, it's, it's a move with an eye towards the future as well. What well, is a seven-year contract? They have to because both Koulibaly and well, Koulibaly is in his early thirties, I suppose. But I mean, Thiago Silva, how much longer can this guy keep going? They spent a fortune to get him, but I think it could be money well spent. Okay, I, I think it's actually a good move. When this falls we'll apart, I'll be the guy to tweet you. That tweet. I'm always expecting that tweet. I've gotten many of them. <laughs> uh, Anthony JJ, his big money move from Manche- uh, from Ajax to Manchester United. Huge money. Yeah. I, like I think it's a good move. It, this is an extremely skillful player. He play can operate on the right. Um, not a, maybe not a ton of goals, but he's only 22. I mean, not, but not a small number either. Was it like ten goals, twelve assists last season? I think. Yeah, but overall um, for IX, not 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 and nothing that would. But like again, twenty two. So, I think this is a really good move for United. So a couple things with it. Um, I don't know if you've heard this at all, but there's sort of this kind of like underlying criticism of some of these moves, Lissandro Martinez, Anthony. Yes. Oh, Ten Hag is only going for the guys that he knows. There's no creativity here. Why well, It's not It's not so, underlying. People are just out. I mean, I hear it. You listen to any podcast, you read any article, you turn on Sky. Here's what I would say. Heard it on Sky. By two hours of transfer window talk on Sky today. What is wrong with me? Here's what I would say to those people. There are worse clubs to pluck the best young players from than Ajax. They're probably like if we were going to hold up all the clubs in the world, 
that produce young talent, like they might be number one. Yeah. So if they I have think a it's the money though, Andrew, as well. I know what you're saying that there's a basic. I trust cri- them. There's a basic criticism. Like here's here's what I would think: a club like Manchester United with it should have its scouting tentacles everywhere, but doesn't really seem to, because we're going for what the manager wants. Like directly. That, by the way, what's wrong with that? Nothing. But don't it, we always say the manager should be the one who's getting what he wants? But he knows. Yeah, I, I, to an extent. But I think you're. It's a narrow net, is what I'm saying. And add in the money to it. But again, I suppose United just pay, pay these fees. I mean, they, like they've squandered so much money in the past. I don't actually think they're probably going to squander money here. A lot of upside to this player. There's also. You talk about underlying senses. Oh, the manager knows him. He's he's, he's getting him because he's he's had him play for him. He's coming from the Eredivisie as well. That's and true. We have seen in the past that that is not exactly a guarantee. It's not, but Ajax has a good track record. I listen. I I like it. I'm curious to see how it will it'll work out. So who's the odd man out? What will that front three be? Anthony was bought to play. For that amount of money, he's playing on the right. So I assume Jaden so, Sancho will play on the left. Mm, I don't know. Martial's hurt with an Achilles situation. Well, well who's your who's your central striker? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> can't do this. <laughs> so they say that he's still in their plans. Did you did you see uh, the article that Duncan Castles wrote? Duncan Castles, he, the emissary of Jorge Mendes. <laughs> No, I didn't. What did he say? Um, it was in the Times, broad strokes. How has Ronaldo ended up in this scenario? Promises were made by Manchester United to him that were not kept. Um, he lists every reason why he can't go to all these clubs. Um, also suggested, you know it came from Mendes and his crew, the sporting Lisbon manager has threatened to walk if this guy ends up at the club. <laughs> so... Um, a real kind of eye-opener, or not an eye-opener, I suppose they're trying to sell this guy and, and using Duncan Castles to, to do that as well. It's a good. It's still a good article by Duncan, even though uh, we know where he's getting his, where his sources okay. are. It's okay, it's still interesting. That's fine, it's still interesting. Um, he's four years left in his extremely fit body at the top level. Now, if you saw him at the weekend, when he came on, he was, it was Salasau, the centre-back for, for Southampton. So Ronaldo is, you think, oh, he's in. And the first two and a half yards, oof, and Salisau just runs him down. Just runs him down. Just takes the ball off him. There is not four years at the top level left in him. There might be five years in MLS. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, Why are you going to take cheap shots? That uh, is cheap. What did MLS do nah, to, to nothing. hurt you? Nothing. That was a cheap one. That was, a, that was straight from English Twitter. Uh but anyway, yeah, that that was the article. Really trying to sell this guy. Now, I've heard that Napoli wanted to wanted to do it, but De Laurentiis wants United to pay like all eighty percent of the wages, right? Right, eighty five percent, something like that. So, so back to back to that front three. We're we're getting off topic here. Yeah, if it's not going to be Ronaldo down the middle, which I just don't think it will be. Alanga, no, on the left, no. So Sancho on the left. I think Sancho and Anthony are playing. Okay. Figure out the rest is kind of so Rashford down the middle. I don't know. Or when Martial is back, if Martial's fit, maybe that's the way it works. 
don't know. I mean, look, like we said, you need a big squad this season. The, there's a lot of games to be played. Maybe he plays with a false false nine. Maybe. I mean, is that some is that a, a, a staple of a ten hog system? I don't think so. Don't think so. Um, one thing that'll be interesting if Anthony and Ronaldo are playing together. One of the things with Anthony, he's not shy. He's going to shoot a lot. Um, so I am pre-excited for the eye rolls from Ronaldo on some of these wild Anthony shots. I can't believe Ronaldo is going to go in as essentially a benched player into this new season proper. Because the season only really starts 100% now when all the windows are closed and no one else is to come in. Um, yeah. Pretty interesting. Uh, let's see. Any other? Yeah. Uh, we had mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and he played today, actually. Alexander Isak, Newcastle. We were waiting for Newcastle to spend big. Took way longer than we thought, but it happened. And it happened in the form of a six foot four Swede who scored today. Yeah, took his goal excellently. Scored another one, which is, I think, even better, but got ruled out for offside. I've never been so relieved to see a flag go up. Skint Joe Gomez, cut inside again, sent Robertson to the to the shops, uh, sat him down actually, and then whipped it home. But thankfully the flag was up. Looked lively. Um, tall, a lot of movement, a lot of money spent as well, but that was just a brilliant start for him. Um, oh, circling back, Dusan Tadic okay. played as a false nine under Ten Hag for a little bit. Not always with great success, but they had did that before. They had done it. Um, when I guess when he didn't use Casper Dahlberg as a centre forward, but okay. anyway, right. that's an aside. Um, look, look very good. Looked, uh, yeah, he, he he looks like he's going to score goals in our league. <laughs> yeah, uh, it would appear so. Um, so we'll monitor this, of course, with deadline day. Oh, Martin Dubravka, he's on his oh, way yeah, to yeah. United as a, as a backup goalkeeper. All right, uh, I mean backup. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I guess. I suppose he is. I mean, I, right now he is. Uh, yeah, sure. I go guess it's possible. At, go and sit at the bench at United for much bigger wages than you're on at Newcastle right, right now. He was sitting on the bench behind Pope at Newcastle. So if you're going to sit on the bench somewhere, probably rather do it at United, I would think. Yep. Um, so we'll see what else develops. There's still a little bit of time left. So there's going to be something big. One big thing somewhere. But I, I, I do think that United are... Done more or less, apart from Dubravka. Well, they've said they've said they're done. Yeah, Ten Hag said that that this is probably it. But I think Liverpool are done too. I just get that feeling. Uh, let's see, JJ. Let's do. I got a few MLS things here for my MLS minute that I, I feel compelled that I just I got to get to. I'll go through them quickly. Um, first one. Welcome to MLS, Ricky Puig. Holy moly. That pass gave you the feels, didn't yeah. it? Uh, what a debut versus New England. I was reading at MLSsoccer.com. Nine possessions, one, three successful dribbles, and one otherworldly assist. Uh, 23-year-old from Barcelona who wasn't really playing at, who wasn't playing at Barcelona, but at 23, this is a, like, I don't know. The way I interpret this, this is good. This is a good thing for MLS because usually a player like that at that age who can't quite break through at a club of that tier, he would then go to like, what would you say, like Sociedad or something like that and then maybe try to get in at like a, a little bit, a couple goes, tiers down. He goes to Betis, has a great season, ends up on the bench at PSG. But, something like that. Right, but going to LA, uh, that's that's a nice 
to me, that's that's a nice thing for MLS to have. And his uh, his first impression was a a pretty impressive one. Galaxy are playing Toronto FC as we speak. Actually, I would be me. I was wanting to. Uh, I had that score up in front of me. It was one nil. This is a silly thing to like deliberate over for a game that's already happened. But at any rate, uh, the the rumors about Ricky Puig and you know his partying in Barcelona, um, and that maybe he it was distracted from his career because he was so highly touted yeah. at the start. It's good thing he's gone to um, you know to Los Angeles where there's no parties. <laughs> uh, it's Toronto actually up 2-1 right now in the 89th. They came from a goal down. Bernadeschi with a penalty just a couple minutes ago. He he's, he's, he's struggled to take to the league. They're doing all right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, second here that I wanted to mention, you'll make fun of me. Oh, you always bring them up. I'm sorry. The Philadelphia Union, they are scoring goals at a rate that, that they have not done before. Now, this is not I've happening. never heard you talk about the Union. JJ. Okay, I'm sorry. Come on. That, I'm being what, what they're doing... I mean, like when they they got rid of Shabilko and Sergio Santos, and I think there were a part of Union fans who were a little nostalgic. They're like, "Oh, that's going to be tough to lose those guys." Pfft. Nope. Yeah, nope. you're right. Like four one against Atlanta today. Then there was six back to back six, six nils. nils. There was a five nil. I mean, in there he nearly too, right. Yeah, there was. Let me see. Um, Where was the five nil? Like something something in this attack. Gazdag has been sensational. That that signing has come good. Actually, three six nils if you include the Houston Dynamo as well. I mean, this oh they've now God. scored fifty seven for the season. Only Austin have more. Union also now have a plus thirty seven goal differential, which is by far the best in the league. Something like if you're a Union season ticket holder, you're getting your money's worth this year. This has been fun. You're going to that place and you're seeing goals, a lot of goals. Uh, this is. This has been really interesting. If it's sustainable in the postseason, good luck to whoever their opponent might be. Be, be curious to see where what points total they finish up on as well. I mean, they're on yeah, 50, of course. 57 right now. Um, they, yeah, they're absolutely flying. Hey, but Montreal have kept up there. Montreal. Huh? <laughs> huh? Everyone said they'd fade away. They have not. Uh, let's well, they see. did for a bit and then they came back. A couple more here. Um the uh, oh man, the um, FC Cincinnati Columbus Crew match over the weekend, the the hell is real, Derby, what a game, really fun game, great atmosphere. Stephen Marrero netting the uh, the equalizer in the 96 minute. So Columbus's first goal, Derek Etienne. I find this to be fascinating. So I watched it, thought he was a mile offside, couldn't believe that the goal was allowed to stand. Then, and like you saw like on Twitter, there were measurements of like, he's a foot and a half off. Yeah. He's a two yards off. Um, but then like as the days progress, we're now, we're like half a week later and this is still a thing. Oh yeah. People are still finding new camera angles and it's fascinating that a goal that I was sure was just like the blown call of the season, they might've actually got it right. There's new camera angles that make it look like Nick Haglin might be playing them on but only barely. So there's uh, here's what I'm I'm curious to get your take on this. So um, at offside modeling has a measurement where they think that uh, Etienne might be offside by a quarter less than a quarter of an inch, according to their measurement. So I gotta say I'm actually I'm good with that. Like quarter of an inch. If we got now if this were in the Premier League, the molecular man would appear. And he'd be offside. 
but like he was off by less than a quarter of an inch. Um, the they like to me that's kind of what VAR is for. If you look, if the referees looked at this, and it's that the margin is that thin, then like to me that's indistinguishable, and whatever was ruled on the field probably should be allowed to stand. Now again. The, I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my mouth because it felt, it felt like watching it in real time. He was a billion miles offside. And you heard Pat Noonan afterwards. He went ballistic. He did go ballistic. Um, Pat Brennan, the journalist, he tweeted this. Comment from PRO, the Professional Referees Organization, has arrived. The VAR did not feel there was conclusive evidence that Derek Etienne Jr. was ahead of the back foot of Cincinnati's number six, which was the line of offside. This point was partially obstructed from view because the best available camera angle... uh, This point was partially obstructed from view from the best available camera angle to determine offside. Right, they're at the mercy of what TV cameras can offer them. There were no other uh, camera angles the VAR could reliably use to conclusively establish that the on-field decision was clearly and obviously incorrect. I mean, that's just... That's a failure of... Of cameras, really. But in the end, it might not be because it looks like they, if it was less than a quarter of an inch, I'm kind of, I'm okay with it. Pat Noonan's just absolute freak out. Yeah, he was. And look, in the moment, I get it. He used the term effing obvious. <laughs> and he says it's happening every week. I mean, look, he, says, he said it's the norm. Yeah. This, it, it, that's not true, though, is it? I mean, the standard of officiating in this league is, I think, is a fair thing to debate, right. to, to question. But to say it's the norm is... Uh, he'll probably be receiving a, a letter in the mail. And we see Howard Webb is moving on from his role as the head of the Referees Association. He is going to be moving back to England to be the, the head of VAR. Hmm. All right. Good for him. And uh, finally, one more, JJ, our friend, longtime listener of this podcast, Paul Risdale. Uh, he tweeted us to say, um, Minnesota United FC are 8-2-1 and one in their last 11. Best in MLS. We deserve a mention. Well, there you right. go. You got your mention. You're right. You do deserve a mention. Loon's up to third now in the West. But here's what's good about it. They have a really tough schedule to end the season. So, like, this is why what they've done here is so good. I think since the end of June, um, they've got the most points of anybody in MLS. They fattened up. Like, that's what you, that is what good teams do. You know, you, you, you gather up those points because you've now given yourself a little bit of a margin for error. We know how tight the race is in the Western Conference, so... Like, good for them. They, they got themselves into good positioning here, and it feels like you're looking at a playoff team. Um, and, JJ, i got to say, too, I've mentioned this guy before, but Emmanuel Renault, so he'd be on my short list of players that I enjoy watching the most in this league. He's no one of Andrew's people. He's heating up, um, putting in goals now, though not this past weekend, but his passing is incredible. Adrian Heath has been on him to shoot more. Um, but uh, Jim Suhan, uh, who had a piece, I think it was in the Star Tribune, um, wrote about Reynoso. He said, no matter how many goals he scores, Reynoso's artistry will be in his deft touch pass, sometimes with the outside of his foot that looks innocuous until the ball skips past defenders and into open space where only his teammates can reach it. To pass better than Reynoso, you need to use your thumbs. And that's not allowed. Nope. It means only he can do it. He's a great player. So there you go, Paul Risdell. Minnesota United FC. Props to him. Uh, one more break. We'll come back. We got a mailbag. It's a good mailbag. You got to come back from the mailbag. And you've got things that you saw on the internet. I have a couple as well. So, I've, I, uh, I only put one in. Just oh, okay. this. I had a whole load. I'll actually mention another. Okay. So you do have more than one. I have two. All right. Uh, so we've got all that still to come here on Caught Offside. Closing it out here on the podcast this week. Um, 
Don't have too much to say about it, but uh, you and I have been texting a little bit, talking a little bit, and it's for two guys who really, I think, in this country, really carried the mantle for Peaky Blinders during its run. Uh, yeah, it it came to a it's it came to a tough end for me. I did not enjoy the final season. Haven't and that's fin- sad. Yeah, haven't finished it yet. Finding it a bit of a slog to get in. You know when you've started and you're like all excited. I know. Oh man, I rewatched season five before this to get myself back into it. Yeah, I just uh, it's it's not working for me. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I think it hit its high water mark maybe three seasons ago, two at least. Anyway. And I think there were other things that. I mean, look, the story. I don't want to. Go, I don't want to do spoilers here in case people haven't seen it yet or whatever. There are flaws with the story. I think with how they've used certain characters this season yeah. that I will never understand. What's why they're making the choices that they're making. Yeah, it's sure. going to bother me forever. I, another big one that was beyond anyone's control was the really, really sad real-life death of Polly, yeah. Paul on the show, Helen McCrory. Yeah. Um, that, you was, know, that was hard. That taking was really a brilliant hard, character out, a, le- a leading role character out of it. And really hard to try to write that into the story. It was, that, it was hard to get past that within the show. So... Look, still like an amazing show, one of my all-time favorites, but it just it did not for me. It didn't end well, and that that'll kind of leave you with a bad taste in your mouth. Now, I did read somewhere that there's like talk of a movie possibly. Uh, yeah, so maybe there's a I chance think to that salvage is happening, it, but, but maybe they can salvage it. But I don't. When know. When has a movie salvaged a bad ending? Like I don't, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. How often does that happen? Where a series then gets a movie to? Talk? I mean, I guess The Sopranos kind of, but oh, that's a prequel. Geez. Yeah, that I was a mess. Absolute I mean, entourage. I didn't hate the movie. It was kind of just like a hour and a half episode of the show. I, if you like the show, I guess you would like the movie. I actually thought El Camino, the a Breaking Bad movie, which tied up what happened to Jesse. No, I didn't see any of this. I've never seen Breaking Bad. There it is. It's out there, everyone. You've heard me say it. All right. I hear all of you right now yelling in, into your phones or however you're consuming Sweet. this. Good lord. Because I every time I say that, the looks that I get from people, it's like I, <laughs> it's. That's what I'm giving you right yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah, I get it. It's a great show. I'll get to it. Speaking I'm, I'm of watching Yellowstone. Speaking I'll of great shows, I, I finished The Bear. Yeah, uh, that's great too. On FX uh, season one, I, I can't imagine what's to come. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. If someone had told me, well, it's a show about a restaurant, and there's a lot of cooking action, and it's in Chicago, I don't know if I would have loved it. But I will say about the finale. Ah, um, <sighs> careful. No, I'll say about the show in general, what I loved about it. It's sweet, it's thoughtful, it's harrowing at times, it deals with a lot of just like tough issues in real life. And American TV is never, in fact this country, is never uh, in a better place than when it looks at itself like through a real lens of real things that are happening and can happen to real people and addresses them rather than live in a fantasy land. It's so good. Like The Wire show like that yeah just this is what happens face it okay. and and see the, the there's real joy and real beauty in this country um and we don't have to make up stories about ourselves we have real stories it's this is a, uh, truly amazing this is all very vague but because I'm, i gotta but be I'm, careful no, about but what I'm, the I'm things i'm intrigued i'm in yeah speaking get, of harrowing mm. and i'm not making light here you sounded like you took part in a fairly heroic act over the weekend i'm still not over it uh, I was going to meet a, a couple of friends for a few beers on Saturday night and I'm on the platform of the train station and I'm just kind of looking at my phone waiting for the train to come and I see a head 
moving along on the tracks, the top of a head. There's someone down on the tracks. And I look at the uh, sign and it's a minute until the train comes in. Oh my God. And there's a lot of people on the platform and it didn't seem like anybody knew quite what to do because clearly this person was in a not fully uh, sensible state or aware of what was going on. Um, And so I was like, okay, a minute means, you know what a minute means? This thing is coming through. Uh And so I ran down the platform and shouted, hey, buddy, 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 buddy. And I got his attention and he was wasn't wearing any clothes. He was quite dirty. Disheveled. Had come through, a, clearly through a tunnel. He'd been on the tracks for a while. And I said, but the train's coming. Give me your arm. And he turned around and suddenly there was like this realisation flickered in his face. And then he goes, hey, come on, man. Come on. And I'm like, all right. And I, I'm trying to pull up and I'm not strong enough. It's that pulling a, a, a guy up yeah. uh, was just so I, I shouted. Without you yourself possibly falling onto the tracks Well, I'm trying to doing so. pull backwards. Right. And I can see the light of the train oh and, and then there's two guys beside me who thankfully grabbed his other arm and we pulled him up and uh, he, he wasn't of full mind. He wasn't all together. He was experiencing something clearly. Shout, started shouting at me about Ukraine and I just, I held my fist out to fist bump him. I said, you're all right now. And he goes, yeah, I know. And so I walked him to the stairs and I just said, just go up the stairs there, please. Because <laughs> I was afraid he was going to go back down on the track. Oh my God. Um... And you are not everyone. I'm serious now. Not everyone would do that. But you, there were other people on those on that platform. You're a good man, Jesus my friend. Christ! I can't watch someone get smashed by a train. I, I, know, I just but, couldn't. But not everyone reacted. But two other guys did, thankfully, as yeah. well with me. So, um, if yeah. We, if we did man of the match this week, wouldn't have to think hard for mine. Well, thank you very much. But I honestly, I I believe, mm. I believe that someone would have done something. Well, they were running out of time. Yeah, I know. Oh, jeez. Good Lord. Yeah. You don't need that. No. You just don't. <laughs> no, no. Your heart God. rate doesn't go down. No. Oh, my God. Um, equally as harrowing, let's let's open this mailbag. <laughs> equally as harrowing. Uh, Corey from Idaho kicks us off. Are you guys both on board with the idea that Richarlison had to be, had to be kicked for the disrespect, in quotation marks, of juggling the ball in the middle of a game? Here we go. Um, he didn't have to be kicked, but that's absolutely what's coming. I mean, it, it's absolutely what's going to happen. I'm, to you. I'm now. Look, this is. Let's be. Let's just call it what it is here. There's a. There's a tribal element to this. Um, is there? Oh yeah, Tottenham fans are kind of looking at this, saying like, "Dude, everyone, the outrage. Jamie Carragher's outrage over this was a little bit bonkers. It was a little bit." Off the reservation, um, I didn't hear what James. And so said. I think Tottenham fans have kind of retreated a little bit to protect their guy, yeah. who came on, had a great game, provided an assist, and then had some fun. And like <laughs> that's how they see it. Um, look, I, I'm now accustomed to the unwritten rules of of this sport. <laughs> you know, like for whatever reason, when you do this, this is what happens. No, and, no, and no, you no. Know, and you know what's coming. Not for whatever. Yes, reason. Yes, for whatever reason. Yes, for whatever reason. He didn't hurt anyone. Like, that sort of retribution, I think, should be designated if you did something dirty. He did something. He was having a little too much fun at their expense. Right, correct. Disrespectful. He was having, you're beating us. You're enjoying yourself too much. I'm going to kill you now. Right. Like, I'll be honest. I don't know what, you've you've been here a long time. You've seen a a thousand baseball games probably since you've lived here. Yeah. Like, where do you fall on the, oh, you flipped your bat? I'm gonna hit you in the head next time you come up. Oh no, silly! But right, but it's there. Doesn't 
But it's silly. Doesn't feel a whole lot different to me than watching this. Oh, I'm gonna meaninglessly. It didn't do anything to affect the play. I'm, I'm, I've got the ball in space. I'm feeling myself a little bit right now. I'm gonna juggle it a few it's, times. It, you did what? You're a dead man. Yeah. Like it's a little silly to me. It's, it's the the act is complete. Like disrespect. Does it need to be punished with uh, trying to to, ha- to cut him in half? Probably not. All right. But it is complete disrespect. It's it's literally stopping in the middle of the game. <laughs> to juggle a ball. You're not advancing the play. You're not defending for your team. All you're doing is saying, you're so crap that I can stop here and flick the ball up a couple of times. Now, the thing that... Re- I don't think it's saying you're so crap. Oh, it's absolutely... I think if you're... I think if you're, a, a, you're rubbish. If your team is losing, you might interpret it that way. I think it's just like... Like I just said, I'm feeling myself right now. I'm, I'm, yeah, well, you're I'm go- playing you're- well, and I'm, I got the ball the way it was passed to me. It's kind of easy for me to do this. I'm going to do it. But don't forget, when you're losing and you're getting a chasing, and you're, you, you've been running after the ball most of the game, and it's late in the game, and you see someone do that, nobody is more ratty are uh, are irritable than when you're in oxygen de- deprivation and uh-huh. you're tired. I yeah. And no, what really leaves him open for the for the for the clattering and nobody's talking about it is he then plays a terrible pass which kind of got knocked back. Got knocked back yeah. and allows him into the path of Brennan Johnson who halves him and then Nico Williams who falls on him. Lands but look, him. there's he doesn't he doesn't have to be kicked for it, but it's going to happen. 100% nailed on. If you do that in a game, it's going to happen. Do I agree with it? I don't think it's necessary, but it's going to happen. The reason I say it's tribal is because I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. If I saw Jaden Sancho do that to Spurs, if United were 2-0 up in late in the game, and I saw Christian Romero come barreling in, I might feel good about Romero doing that too. So I, I understand the Absolutely, tribal element of yeah. it. Um but I just also think that, like, look, ultimately, my thing is, like, I get it. I'm not mad at Brendan Johnson for what he did. I, I think it's a little bit of, like, the punishment not necessarily, not necessarily fitting the crime. I think sports are more fun when there is some kind of, like, flair involved. And if this is the unwritten rule, it's kind of discouraging but, but that from being in the game. But the, no, nobody is discouraging Flair. He played a ball with the outside of his foot right onto the head of Harry Kane for a goal. Yeah. That is that is a, a level of Flair. He sat down, was it McKenna, the Nottingham Forest defender at one point as well. The Flair is allowed. The point is that this is seen to be outside of the realm of... Of this is just this is just disrespecting for the sake of it. Like I said, the ball isn't advanced. He doesn't he doesn't turn a player. It's not like he beats a player. He just flicks it up because look at you guys, look at you. I've the time to do this. That's that's the point. <laughs> okay. Um, the animals on Reddit were debating the celebration police, mm-hmm. aka Keys and Gray, mainly Keys, and their reaction to Arsenal celebrating quote uh, too much. After they came from behind versus Fulham. And the animals really, I suppose they're curious if we're going to sign up to this Celebration Police Academy too. Let's let's just hear what Keyes did say. I understand Arsenal's fans celebrating in the manner that they did. I felt that the coach and his players over-celebrated a 2-1 win against Fulham. I think this sort of reaction to what happened yesterday from Arteta and co, tells me how far they've fallen. 
Arsene Wenger would have been howled out of the arena if his team had scraped a 2-1 win with, in effect, an own goal that was way off target until it took a deflection and a present from Jay Leno. Jay Leno, no less. Not burnt Leno, Jay Leno. Um, also, it was not an own goal. Keezy was on one. Look, I think he's well aware of how to, to tweak people now. I mean, this is a man who's been broadcasting for the last, what, 10 plus years outside of, outside of his home. He's been in exile. And if he wants to create headlines, he'll say something. Um, I didn't think... I think the Arsenal... I, I could see how a man of his generation would would see that as excessive. Like, he compares, like, George Graham. <laughs> George Graham. Like, George Graham, his nickname by the Arsenal players was Colonel Gaddafi. Like, he wasn't a fun guy in that sense. He was very much a PFM. Arsene Wenger, I don't think Arsene Wenger would have had much of a problem with, the, with the celebrating that kind of a win. Um... I didn't see much of a problem with what Arsenal did. Also, if you watch All or Nothing, you see them do that. More or less the same celebration after they came came from behind to beat Wolves last season too. So it's kind of part of what they do. And this is a club that runs on vibes at the moment. You, um, They're a young club. They they, they like to, sh- to, to, from what I can see from the documentary, joy is a big thing for them. So, so near the end of last season, I don't remember exactly which win it was after. It might have been when Everton stayed up and the fans rushed the pitch. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was, we talked a little bit about some people looking at it saying, like, you're Everton. The fact, like, what are you doing celebrating like this? Um, like, you should never be in this position. Like, act, come on, like, act like the club that you are. And I remember you saying a line that really resonated with me. You said that's not how joy works. It's not. And it's a simple line, but I I love it. And it's perfect. And I so agree with it. And I think that this is this like you said celebration police is so it's so stupid. Like it's a dramatic win for a club that's in a, having a great moment right now that hasn't had very many of them over the last several years. They can feel something potentially special happening. And beyond that, I I feel like it's almost a little bit of small-minded thinking to say you just beat Fulham 2-1. Why are you celebrating like this? No, 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 no. Like we're this is a league right now where it's not about beating Fulham on the day. Yeah, that's what happened. But that's not how that's not what this league is right now. Any dropped points that you suffer in this league, your title race is over. Your race is run. That's the way, that's the state of things with Manchester City. So every week you're kind of competing to keep pace with this this giant that's looming over the whole league in Manchester City. So, like, I don't care if it's against Fulham, United, Liverpool, Tottenham, whoever. Like, any late win that allows you to re- keep this unbeaten run going and keep pace with the giant that is City, you celebrate it. You our know, title race, it's still early, but, like, everyone's thinking about it at this stage in the season. May, who knows? Maybe it's our turn to keep up with them. Any late three points that you pick up, celebrate it. 100%. Jurgen Klopp went down to the to the cop and did his yes, 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 punching. He was asked afterwards, he goes, it's the best way to win a game. It's the best way to win a game. He said, late goal winner. He said, I wouldn't like to do it all the time, but if you're going to win a game, that's the best way to do it. It's Because that's joy. And you can't... Yeah, I just think Keyes was winding people up. My line, I guess, would be if, if it's like a game at this stage in the season and fans came on the pitch... Now we can have a conversation about the celebration police. You probably get the real police involved in that, but like that, uh, but like stuff like this, I didn't think it was anything wrong with it. 
We'll go through this one quickly because we have covered it kind of. A great number of you have contacted us about the release of the World Cup 2022 jerseys. And we have to discuss how bad the reception has been for Puma's efforts because it seems to be putting the Nike US MNT one in the shade. They've released all their jerseys. The Swiss jersey, someone pointed out, looks like... the whatever. tag. Hello, my name is. Hello, my name is tag, yeah. It's weird. Uh, and the thing, look, the thing I don't like You don't like think about they're it, that bad, though? No, no, no. They are bad. Yeah. I'm just saying they're not worse than what we're going to be Right, wearing. okay. Uh, the, thing, the thing I don't like about it is like... Why does it have to be just this template, and now yeah. all these countries are going to wear that? Like that—that that just annoys me. Um, each country should have their own individual look. Right. Like a the you know Puma kind of just put out a template, and they're all going to wear a similar looking style. And like, I don't I don't like that. I don't. I think mean, it should be I like mean, that. it's obviously cost effective to do that, and that's that's got to be part of it. It's got to be. Um, but really. It's, it's, yeah, like it's that. It makes that much of a financial difference to do an individual kind of design for every kit. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I guess. I, what I think what uh, Adidas have done cleverly is they do have a template for their jerseys, but within that, there's so much range to put the style and something related to the country in it. Yeah, and uh, and they can be more expressive with their designs. Uh, Deepak Patel. Uh, have you had a chance to catch Welcome to Wrexham first two episodes I thought were super compelling and did a great job explaining to viewers what it means to be in the National League the importance of being promoted and the importance of the club to the city highly recommended I can't say too much I have watched both episodes I don't want to say too much about it I am I am enjoying it but again it's it, it follows the classic formula of these kind of um, documentaries uh, I would just say and it's not ruining anything for anyone I'd like to know more about how Reynolds and McElhenney got to Wrexham as the club that they were going to buy. I am quite curious about that. Um, and was this, and were they going to do a documentary about buying a club regardless of of whether it was Wrexham or not? Because the documentary starts from the get go. Like it's it's very self aware. I will put it that way. Okay. Um, but it it is the business end of of professional football in in the sense that. These people, these players are earning about $48,000 a year. They need these jobs. Mm-hmm. They need Wrexham to be good. And that kind of jeopardy makes it very, very interesting. I look forward to watching it. I want to get through All or Nothing first. Then I'll get to uh, to Wrexham. I'll say this. Uh, I like those two guys a lot. Uh, so I'll certainly give it every chance. I think they come across well. Um, but... There's tough decisions to be made. Yeah. I would put it in the... It, it, it gets right into it in the first two episodes. The decisions are really, really tough because it's it's people's actual lives. There's no... I walk- wish the ending was happier. We know. I mean, we know how their season ends. Yeah. And it's devastating. They thought they were through, right? Mm. But the goal was ruled out for offside. Yeah. Did I just ruin it for a lot of people? I don't know. Maybe not everyone knew that. I don't think... I'm not sure... I knew that either. Oh, really? I thought yeah, you were talking in, about. And they made it to Wembley, right? And didn't they like in, oh, the, I, in I, the relic in the promotion playoff? Oh, I I didn't know that. Oh, that's okay though, because <laughs> anyone can look that up. It's, yeah, but why would you? I nah. This what I've done here is a an abomination. I've become really what I <laughs> I become like, what I hate. But this ha- this did happen months ago. Yeah, it so did. I don't so feel like I, I. I'm sure loads of people knew going in. I didn't know that going in. I didn't follow it. That I I said away for the documentary because I remember there was a famous clip that went viral of like Rob McElhaney celebrating wildly, 
and like it had been ruled for offside, and he didn't realize uh, uh, it. You're, you're, it you're was, making it worse. It was once again used as a reason. Oh, look at the dumb American who doesn't understand the offside rule. No, he's just like he hasn't seen it yet. That, mm. He knows what offside is. He just hasn't seen. Yeah. Whatever. I'm I'm very sensitive and protective of my American soccer fans. You really uh, are, brethren. Um, and finally, uh, I found someone who's made uh, <laughs> every Arteta speech, every Arteta team talk on All or Nothing Arsenal. I think. Uh, I think this comedian has nailed it. K. Uh, K. Curd. Yes. Is who he is on Twitter. Here he is. Guys, today I want to ask you all, what is the most versatile vegetable? <laughs> Laka? <laughs> no. The most versatile vegetable is a potato. <laughs> potato. <laughs> This is the most versatile vegetable. It can be a hash brown, it can be a chips, it can be a crisps. <laughs> Guys, on the football pitch you must be a potato. <laughs> I mean that's, that's, that's classically it like. Yeah, it's kind of, you know. What would I'd love him to like bring in a food blender. Guys, what is this? Laka? No. <laughs> it's a food blender. I need you to blend together as a team. What Come on, it? guys. I felt so bad for Lacazette when, when he asked him, what is more important, the, the journey or the destination? And he says, uh, destination. <laughs> destination. No. No, Lacazette. No. <laughs> oh, well, maybe for him it is. I don't know. It's kind of subjective. It's like at school when you're asked a question by the teacher and the teacher's full of enthusiasm because they think you'll know the answer and you get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a couple things I saw on the internet. Oh. They're, they're super quick. Um we didn't do the jingle yeah, no, either. Well, you just went right in. You didn't even care. Uh, Duncan, Al- uh, Duncan Alexander tweeted this, JJ. Bournemouth have now conceded more goals than Chelsea did in all of the 04-05 season. I thought that was amazing. Uh, troubling all at once. And ESPN FC tweeted, this was over the weekend, um, Sadio Mane has already had five goals disallowed by VAR this season. <laughs> German <laughs> <Crazy>. VAR. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought that was nuts. Yeah, so um, so there you go. There you go. That's it. That's the pod. Good Lord. A behemoth. Enjoyed it really a lot. The matches are going to be coming fast and furious. We've got more this weekend, more Champions League next week, right? Yeah. It's... So we're in it. We're in it now. Uh, I love it, though. I love it. This was fun, man. Hey, I got nothing left to you. I say... Take it later, fun boy. See you later. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 